Hello, welcome to the Nourishing Liberty podcast. I'm your host, Liz Reitzig, and we have our co-host, Rachel Mills here. Hello, good to be with you again, Liz. Great to have you here, Rachel. Here we go, enlightening people about our food systems and how we fit into them. And before we get started on the meat and potatoes of today's topic, I do want to mention, come check us out at nourishingliberty.com and sign up for the emails or the community there. And please like and subscribe to these podcasts and share them with your friends. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Yes, we need to grow our audience. So how about that? What you should do if you find this content worthwhile, share it with 10 friends. Do it right now. Pause it. Share it with 10 friends. Come right back to us. You'll feel great after you do that. (laughs) Thank you, Rachel. (laughs) Yay. Today, we have a a slight uh, uh, mix-up on topic here. And so Rachel is going to talk to us a little bit about our money system and what that means to us, who those of us who are looking for good food. Because Rachel, the past six months, really, we've seen our money doing funny things. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. people are spending a lot more at the grocery store or wherever they're getting their food. Yeah. So what's happening? What is happening to our money? And how can we best use our stores of value to keep getting great healthy food into us. So to start with though, Rachel, you know, here at Nourishing Liberty, you know how much we love definitions. Yes. So what even is money or what is currency? Are they the same thing? Are they two different things? Yes. So money is a medium of exchange. In other words, if you have five oranges and you need six eggs, Um, it's going to be difficult to find somebody that has exactly those six eggs and needs your, your five oranges. So what we have instead is we have a medium of exchange. It goes between the exact exchange that you're looking for, and it just facilitates, uh, the economy. Um, and I have so many thoughts about why our money is, is breaking and broken today. Um, but first I just, I just want to say that in this whole podcast, you know, I'm, I'm learning from you about food and stability and food systems and, you know, healthy, natural foods. But my, my, my why in all of this is economics. <clears throat> in other words, <coughs> excuse me, I got a little bit of a cough I'm getting over. Um, my, my why is because I see the economy headed in a bad direction and all of all of this food stuff that you're teaching me about um, i'm interested in it because food security um, and economic stability and uh, what's happening to our money uh, today hopefully it won't get worse but this has been something that a lot of people have been predicting um, people that i listen to including you know ron paul and others um, that the way that they're handling our money in Washington is not sustainable and it's going to come back to bite us. So um, let me also, while we're at it, define inflation. Inflation, (laughs) as I I think it was Milton Friedman said, inflation is everywhere and always a monetary phenomenon. In other words, 
Inflation is not the fault of the gas store owner for raising prices because he's greedy and he wants more money. No, inflation is too much currency chasing too few goods. So you have two sides of this equation. You have um, too many dollar bills, you know, you have, you have the supply of dollar bills and then you have the supply of the things that you get with the dollar bills. And if the supply of dollar bills goes up, that makes the prices go up because the dollars are cheap. It takes more of them to get the same goods. The other supply part of that equation is the supply side. You know, if, if your supply is shrinking, if it's harder to get things, then you need to charge more of them in order to make those goods appear. So when we have those two things happening at once, we have massive money printing in Washington. We got all those stimulus checks. Before that, we had quantitative easing. We had bailouts. We had TARP. We had all that stuff. That was creating money in the system. Now, back in the, I'm getting into the weeds here, but back in the housing bust, when they were bailing out these banks that were making the bad loans, all of that money was, the, the new money created, all of the stimulus was given to the banks and it stayed on Wall Street, basically. You know, so it stayed in investments. It made the stock market blow up, right? And a lot of people like that because it artificially makes them feel rich. During COVID, when they started sending out stimulus checks to everybody, all of a sudden now that money is on Main Street instead of Wall Street. And so all of that money is now chasing goods at the grocery store. And that's why you're suddenly feeling it. It's all of that hangover coming through your grocery store and your gas station. And also simultaneously during COVID, we had the reduction of supply. Everybody stayed home, essential workers, all of that stuff. That's gonna shrink the, the supply chain, uh, this supply and cripple the supply chain. So you have a, a shortage of, of goods everywhere. So you have more money chasing fewer goods. You have a recipe for disaster. So that is why everything is so expensive. Um, and it's, it's not because your local grocer is greedy. It's because it's a monetary phenomenon. Rachel, that's so fascinating. And one of the things I always say about our food systems is that our food system is really and truly not necessarily exclusively, but it's our system that is that, that touches every other system. It affects and is affected by every other system. And you just explained really clearly how the monetary system is affecting the food system and vice versa. Yeah. So another, another thing that it, I was thinking about as you were speaking about that is if a certain commodity gets, if we go into high production mode on a certain commodity, whether that be dairy, corn, wheat, then the farmers get paid less. We have too much of that in the marketplace, so to speak. And so the yeah. price drops and that, that is what creates this vicious cycle of farmers either getting bigger or getting out. And it sounds like, I mean, in some ways it sounds like that's kind of what happens with our monetary system too, where we have all of this money and something has to give at some point. Now, I wanna ask you about something really specific because this has been something I learned about many years ago and it makes a lot of sense, but I don't know that it, it to be accurate. <laughs> so that is that the root word for currency 
is the same as the root word for current. And that's because a currency is supposed to flow in a society and a group. Is that accurate? Oh, that's interesting. I've never, I've never heard that, but I mean, it, 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 it rings true to me. Um, yeah, the currency is supposed to flow. There is a metric called the velocity of money mm -hmm. that measures how quickly money changes hands in an economy. And when you get into a position of high inflation, the velocity of money increases. Now think about this. It's, it becomes like a hot potato. You want to spend it and get what you can for it because tomorrow the same money is going to get you less. So inflation encourages the velocity of money. So, and it discourages savings because, you know, yeah. if, if you save money, you know, you stuff it all under your mattress, you know, today um, you could buy, you know, a whole basket full of groceries with that money. And tomorrow <laughs> that basket of groceries is going to shrink and shrink and shrink. So it encourages you to spend, which is um, in the capitalist philosophy, capital is based on savings. It's based on accumulating um, wealth and then investing that wealth to increase output, you know, to, to build on the capital that you have saved. If you have nothing saved, you know, you're, uh, you're screwed in capitalism. <laughs> um, well, so does that mean that, um, is that, that velocity of money? Now, I usually, when I, hear about that there's a couple areas that come to mind there's in the alternative uh currency world and i don't mean digital in this case but the actual like localized complementary that's what i meant to say complementary currency world we hear about the velocity of money being seven times faster than in the normal uh currency world and then also in the digital economy but is this velocity being so much more rapid, does that help to push things back down and decrease inflation? Or are we going to see, like, if, we, if it were graphed, would we see it go up and then level off and then go up and then level off? Like, what does this mean also for daily, daily lives of normal okay. people? Yeah. So, so for this question, I want to look back to the seventies and what happened when the seventies inflation got really, really bad. Actually, that inflation lasted several years. Um, it was almost like seven or eight years. And it got to the point where people got used to it. When you get used to the idea of inflation, that's really bad because you end up in a feedback loop. In other words, people will, um, uh, business owners will preemptively raise prices. They will just build that into the business model going forward they will just schedule price increases and then you can't get out of the feedback loop. You know, so it's a very difficult cycle to break when it becomes a matter of routine. So, you know, the, okay. the prices at the grocery store go up, then your paycheck has to go up and then your employer has to raise their prices and on down the line. So we're, if, if, if we don't stop the inflation soon, we're at risk of getting into that same kind of thing. And, and then, you know, ooh, it's, it, it, it takes a lot to, to get us out of the feedback loop. So 
you know, in, in normal times, you, you should have uh, people incentivized to lower prices, to have sales, to, you know, cut costs and, and find ways to provide more for less money. But inflation really distorts all that. And there's a, a, lot, of, a lot of market distortion going on right now. Um, and one thing we could talk about, or maybe, the, I mean, I think this is a really big topic for another day, possibly, or we could touch on it today, but the farm bill. Um, you, have you looked, you know about the farm bill and all those issues, I'm sure. But I mean, that that's a gigantic market yeah. distortion. You yeah. know, yeah, where, where farmers are paid like a floor to produce something, regardless of market forces, they're just guaranteed something by the government. So they just produce and produce and produce and produce and produce. And then we end up with this glut. A right. glut is an oversupply. Yep. And then what do we do with all of this stuff? We either, you know, light it on fire, you know, or in, uh, figuratively, or um, a, a lot of what we do is we send it over to Africa. We send Africa free stuff from our glut. And do you know what that does to African farmers? <laughs> right. I mean, it, 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 tanks their uh, their economy and it it tanks their ability to then grow and produce in their own bioregions and so yeah Rachel I mean this is like the the tangled web we weave of how these complex systems work together or don't work together and so I mean, you're, you tied it in really nicely. It's like having the, the enormous farm bill, which allocates billions of dollars for subsidies, for um, entitlements, and, and, and it pays farmers to not grow things. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's extravagant. And yeah, and, and the complexity of how that gets tangled up with our monetary systems to, you're right, it, it's subsidizing people in other countries and it's bottoming out their ability to feed themselves. And the same is happening here. And, you know, by the way, let's, let's not veer off topic right this second, but we do need a garden update from you. (laughs) Um, But the, the thing that, you know, that, that we keep coming back to is how do we empower ourselves and each other to Mm -hmm. produce or process or uh, hunt or, uh, find more of our own food. And I love this quote. I don't know if anybody said it before him, but farmer Ron Finley always says, growing your own food is like printing your own money. Yes. Plus you get strawberries. <laughs> so oh, are we, no, maybe that was like, no, 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 no. He does say printing or growing your own food is like printing your own money. But the plus you get strawberries thing is like gardening is better than therapy. Plus you get strawberries. Yeah. But either yeah. way, look, you get strawberries. Yeah. So um, before we get away from the farm bill topic, we, I, I want to give a shout out to a documentary that is near and dear to my heart called Poverty Inc. Yes. If, I was thinking you, about this as you were talking about it. If you have a chance, please look up the documentary uh, film Poverty Inc. It's about the poverty industrial complex and Africa deals with these issues about distorting markets in Africa and and other poor places in the world after national disasters, um, NGOs come in and shower, like it it talks about Haiti a lot, which is near and dear to my heart, 
shower um, earthquake victims with all of all of this aid, which is needed in the direct aftermath of a natural disaster. But how does that distort, distort the market when they won't leave? Um, yes. So look up Poverty Inc. Okay. Yeah. Moving right along. <laughs> um, so, oh, can, can I give yeah. another another shout out? Of to, course. Um, a, a series that I just discovered on HBO. I know you have to have an HBO <laughs> subscription. I told you about this. Um, yeah. It's called Homegrown and it's uh, it's like an HGTV style backyard makeover show, but she makes over backyards into urban farms. So it's a heavy emphasis on vegetable farming um, into these you know backyards in Atlanta. Um, and it, it's just, it's the greatest show ever. And okay. Have you been, have you been watching it? Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm nine episodes in and uh, I have to talk about my favorite part. Just, just so you get an idea of how cool this show is, especially for your, for our audience here. Um, in one episode, they had, she takes this wild backyard, just completely overgrown and she wants to clear it out. What does she do? She brings in a herd of goats. Ah, I was just thinking that. Yep. Brings in yep, goats. Yep, yep. They, yeah, and they set up this temporary fence and the goats stay there for five days and they just completely clear it out. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I heard about this idea uh, a while back and I think it's so cool. Um, anyway. Now, yeah. the goats will oh, remove, oh. they'll remove the leaf, the leafy portion of the plant, but you still got to dig stuff up by the roots afterwards. So- uh -huh. Yeah. So always bear that in mind. And like goats will go and like eat the poison ivy leaves, but they'll leave the vine. So watch out. Uh, yeah. yeah. They said that they, they love poison ivy and they love kudzu, which yeah, is an invasive which, species. Mm -hmm. So Rachel, okay. So you, you just said a whole bunch of things stacked up and, and I love it because it's all part of the web we're talking about, part of the, the system, right. And the system wide approach to both currency, to food, Yes. And so I want to, I want to unpack it just a little bit and go back to, um, three points, I think three, if I can keep track of them. And one is how then does growing our own food or producing locally amongst ourselves. So even if like you're growing all the pumpkins, pretending like you live in my neighborhood and I'm growing all the melons and then we exchange those, does that impact or how does that affect the monetary system, like if, if a lot of people are doing that, will we then, we'll have food security. How does it affect food pricing? Second thing is, I believe if I saw correctly, Homegrown features a woman of color, right? Yeah, she's Jamaican. So I love that. I love, love, love that the um, women and we're, we're seeing more, especially women of color in these roles, that is so vital vital to everything we're working on, everything we're talking about, to see yeah. the true diversity and to see women in the leadership roles that they that they step into. Yeah. And not I, overshadowed. I mean, not that everybody needs to have a leadership role, but not being overshadowed in the thing that they are an expert in. I she, love that. She left the corporate world to be an urban farmer in Atlanta. Like her story is so cool. Well, sorry about that. We had a little bit of an internet glitch there. And Rachel, 
we, I think we were right at the point where I was asking you about the systems that we have and how if, if we're growing food locally for food security, how will that affect our financial systems? But more importantly, will that, you know, of course it'll bring down the price of food that we're growing, but will that overall impact the, the monetary system in a way that's beneficial for food security? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the main reason that I'm concerned with gardening, I mean, I guess there's multiple reasons. I'm, I'm a little bit of a crazy conspiracy theorist <laughs> and I, I worry about food security. I worry about the money not working one day. And, you know, so you reach out to your neighbors and my neighbor next door, she grows green peppers and lemon balm and, you know, all these kinds of things. And I grow cilantro. My cilantro is doing pretty good and she can't seem to grow it. But anyway, so how, how could we have like a, a neighborhood co-op and um, have, have food security if the money doesn't work? How do we exchange? Well, um, use the money if it works for you or you come up with an alternative. You know, um, there's something called Scrip. Scrip is like an ad hoc currency that is very local. Um, it's been used like in mining towns, like the, the uh, mining company might issue scrip to all of the miners that lived in the town and it'd be only good at the company store. You know? yeah, yeah. That's, that's like a, a complementary currency, right? Yeah, yeah. Complementary currency. Yeah. Um, so like that would be one way if, if, if the money, uh, here, let, let me show you something. <clears throat> <laughs> I, I have these bills from the Weimar Republic. These Ooh. are all bills from Germany in 1922, 1923. Um, what does that say for people who are just listening? Um, this is ein million mark. Ooh, that's, that sounds marks. like a lot. Yeah. Um, and then a few months later, five million mark. <clears throat> million mark. This is actual currency from Weimar Republic, Germany. So they're kind of torn, you know, 20 million marks. So, and, and these are all within, um, these are all dated 1923. Um, this is August, 1923. Um, this is an example of the currency not working. <laughs> and it, Because it, it takes it, so much more to, yeah. to purchase the same thing, right? Yeah. That's, and, and they had to keep is, printing with more and more. And this is because the government saw that the people were, they didn't have enough money to afford things at the grocery store. So they kept printing more money and giving it away to them. Eventually they would put this millions and millions of marks. They would bundle all this into bricks and burn it to keep warm wow. because it, it was cheaper than firewood. Wow. That's an example of the money not working anymore. If that happens, uh, a sensible thing to do would be to come up with a neighborhood script and you exchange that. Everybody agrees, you know, and, and of course you have to uh, base it on something. You can't just uh, throw out willy nilly a bunch of script because right. they have the same problem. So, I mean, and, and that would take some doing and, you know, some agreeing too, and you'd have to have your own central bank. <laughs> the HOA. Well, because ultimately, <laughs> Rachel, money is an agreement, right? Yeah. And that's but what it, it is. It's an agreement it has, of value between two or more people. 
and it has to be scarce. If you print it up like toilet paper, it's no longer money. It's toilet Maybe paper. Your example earlier about the um, the oranges and the um, and the eggs. What was the other? The oranges and the eggs. Yeah. That in and of itself could be the money if that is the agreement. But your your point that money is a little bit broader and it has to be not just a yeah. store of value. Yeah, but it has I mean, to be a good means of exchange because you can't go around carrying eggs everywhere you go and then yeah, <laughs> exchanging them for everything you need. Seashells have been written on and used as script. You know, I, I think there's a, you know, people uh, uh, apocryphally use cigarettes in prison as script. You know, you exchange three cigarettes for I don't know what, you know, a haircut. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that, that's a, a, an example of exchanging you know, some something that's portable and valuable and scarce that you can exchange and use as a currency. Um, another thing you could use is, frankly, precious metals. I mean, that's my wheelhouse. I'm a big fan of precious metals. That that is my uh, career uh, has been uh, talking about marketing uh, and helping people buy precious metals. Um, I work for Lear Capital. Maybe one day we'll be able to bring Lear Capital on as a sponsor. I don't know. We have to grow the audience first, though. So, so everybody yeah. tell a friend, and maybe Liz can get a sponsor one day. But anyway, um, not currently being sponsored, but just you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Lear Capital because I have uh, spent a, a good portion of my professional career with the company. But yeah, precious metals um, have right here. This is an ounce of gold. Isn't it beautiful? It is um, beautiful. Look at that. This is a Philharmonic from Austria. This is one ounce of uh, pure gold. That's worth about $1,700 right now. This is worth $1,700. Buy a lot of food. Yeah, but what I have here also, I've got um, an ounce of silver. Isn't this pretty? There's the queen. And look <laughs> at this one. It's got a clipper ship on the back. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Now this right now, uh, you could pick this up for about $35 at a coin shop you know, an ounce of silver. Yeah. One thing I've heard over the years is that <coughs> the amount of food that an ounce of silver bought, uh, I don't know, 50 years ago is about the same amount of food that an ounce of silver buys today, even though the dollar amount of that has changed. Is that yeah. accurate? Yeah. And, and another example that people like to give is um, a, a finely tailored suit, a men's suit um, and an ounce of gold. Um, an ounce of gold okay. throughout history. I mean, even back into the Roman times, a, a nice toga was about an ounce of gold, you know? Wow, um, okay. So that, it's purchasing power. It maintains purchasing power, you know? And so obviously you could use these, I think, and fractions of these uh, to exchange vegetables in your community. You know, in, in lieu of script, you wouldn't have to come up with, you know, a, a, a script and a currency. You could just use precious metals. Um, and, you know, an, another thing that uh, precious metals have that's uh, conducive to money and why it's been considered money for 8,000 years of recorded human history is um, it's meltable. You can melt it down and divide it, you know, into smaller and smaller pieces um, so that it's easy to carry, easy to exchange. And of course, you know, central banks, they have these huge chunks of it, gold bars, um, to, to store their wealth. So um, precious metals is one way, 
uh, to, to get by when the money stops working. Um, and lately, a lot of people talk about cryptocurrency, you know, as an alternative. Um, cryptocurrency is one thing it is not, it is not tangible like precious metals. You know, uh, cryptocurrency is digital. And we could talk more about that some other time, but uh, yeah, that sounds like a whole other topic, isn't it? Yeah. We could both talk about that extensively. Yeah. yeah. And the, the whole thing about crypto is it's not as anonymous as cash or precious metals. In other words, it's all tracked on the, the blockchain, which can be a good thing. It's all very uh, transparent out in the open, but you know, there, there might be instances where you uh, prefer privacy. Like you don't want the government knowing, you know, what you're buying and selling ammunition, you know, stuff like that. So, I mean, there, there's benefits to different forms of alternative currency. Um, before we get off of the digital topic, one thing I want to caution your audience to be very careful about when you hear about central bank uh, digital currencies. Right. Be very wary of those. They're, yeah. they're trying to use the appeal of crypto and uh, transition maybe the dollar to a digital uh, currency, fully digital. And the problem with that is it's programmable and you can use the blockchain to just turn off somebody's money if you don't like them. You what know, could possibly go wrong there, Rachel? You know, they would only use that for like terrorists and child traffickers, you know, and then who yeah. was defining who a terrorist is? That's the problem is, you know, suddenly well, you say the wrong thing on social media and you're a terrorist. I mean, one thing that got to me years ago that kind of, it, it was like one of those light bulb moments for me is that a, a bank, you know, one of the big, large bank chains in our country froze farmers' accounts, farmers who are selling product at farmers' markets. And what is the primary means of exchange at farmers' markets? It's cash. So of course, these farmers are going to be depositing large portions of cash at the end of a farmers' market day or two weeks. And the banks froze their accounts because they were depositing cash and they equated them to whatever right. other nefarious dealings. And yeah. That, that was like one of those huge light bulb wake up moments for me that if, if whoa, if the, if the banks are really like knowing that this business is a farm selling at a farmer's market, knowing this, because we have all of that KYC, know your customer regulations yeah. at, at banks. Yeah. So they have to know what their, the, their customers' businesses are. Knowing that these guys are farmers and still freezing their accounts, like that is so egregious. It, it, uh, it just open my eyes wide girl <laughs> yeah and and the canadian trucker protests they were protesting vaccine mandates and they had to go fund me so that they could buy gas and keep their trucks running because this was february and uh they were cold and so they set up a gofundme gofundme took it down and not only that but uh i, I think it was actually hacked somebody hacked into the donor list and then um banks started mm. shutting down your banking access if you donated to the truckers yeah the the overreach so, is unbelievable it's unbelievable but that's that's also like let's let's also be cautious here in that there's always a worst case scenario there's always a best case scenario and then there's the most likely and so we know that certain things have happened and we also know that the most egregious things are not happening to everyone 
mm-hmm. all the time. And so what, like Rachel, if we're going to, if we're going to leave people with a couple of action items or a couple of thoughts to pursue further, what would you say, okay, what is the worst case scenario? What is the best case scenario? If we all make our voices heard enough and then what really, what's the most likely and how do we prepare for it? Because we can't prepare for every inevitability, not, sorry, we cannot prepare for every scenario. We can only prepare what we can. So what's, what's worst case, what's best case and what's most likely? Well, as we think about money and food. What, uh, yeah, what's best case is, I, I'm really good at worst case. <laughs> let's, let's go with best case. Let's go with best case. Um, a lot of people, this is, this is what's going to happen in the best case scenario. A lot of people see what's going on with the money and they wake up, they get red pilled and they're like, oh, wow, this is bad. Let's elect politicians that don't want to spend so much. Let's get our monetary system under control and stop printing. And there's an apocryphal story about, you know, when this happened, uh, I, they asked Ludwig von Mises, like, how, how do we stop the inflation? And he said, meet me at this bridge at 3 a.m. and I will tell you how to stop inflation. And they're like, okay. So they met him at a bridge and, and they're like, okay, now what? And he said, you hear that sound? And there was like this roar of the printing press, printing, these <laughs> printing round the clock. And he said, stop that noise and you will stop your inflation. <laughs> wow. So they did. They did. Um, I don't know if that story is true, but that, that's the apocryphal story. Um, that's the best case scenario is people wake up before it gets any worse and we just stop it. And the politicians stop spending money and there's flowers and daisies. <laughs> And, <laughs> and everybody lives happily ever after. That's the best case scenario. Okay. Not just flowers and daisies, but a whole diversity of food that cucumbers. we grow. Yes. Yes, exactly. Right. Okay. So, so that's best case scenario. Yes. And then we have worst case. case scenario, which is that hyperinflation <laughs> and money turning to no value and lots of people yeah. being hungry and not getting their basic needs met. Yeah, I mean, worst case scenario is is this, you know, and when when that was happening in the Weimar Republic, uh, people were getting paid at their job every half day, like at lunch. Every half day, wow. Yeah, they 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 would collect their paycheck and go out on their lunch break and find something to buy, a chair, oh, a candy wow. bar. Wow, you know, like what can I buy with this money? It that is highly disruptive to production. Yes to the whole economy, you know, <clears throat> you're not doing much except trying to figure out how to spend money and trying to find something to spend it on. You know, it's very disruptive, it's dysfunctional, it's broken. Um, and in, in those kinds of circumstances, you know, I, I, I think you supply, you prepare for a broken supply chain and you try to have as much on hand to get you through because you cannot, um, uh, store enough for like a year, <laughs> you know, if, if right. our supply chain is broken for a year, like just, you know, pack it up, get right with God and it's all over. But I think you can, <laughs> you could prepare for like three months, you know, you could have enough dry goods, you know, rice and beans on hand for three months. You could uh, get yourself some way to generate solar power so that you could, you know, refrigerate 
I don't know. I, so that's the worst case, <clears throat> right? Still that's case. still the worst case. case. And yeah. then the most likely is somewhere in between. Yeah, I, and then the most likely is where I get into predictions and um, I could write twice a day like a stop clock. So, I mean, take it with a grain of salt. What I think is, <laughs> what I think is the most likely is things get worse before they get better. You know, in other words, mm-hmm. what you're experiencing on the, at the grocery store right now, you know, plan for all of those prices to double again, at least before we're out of the woods. I mean, I, so I don't rebudget, <clears throat> rebudget now, right? Yeah, rebudget and try to uh, figure out what you can substitute, what you can grow yourself, what you can source locally, get to know your neighbor, you know, all of those things we talk about. That's why I love this podcast yeah. so much is all of those things I think are preparing for the most likely scenario. And um, I mean, without getting too political, you know, it, this does have to do with politics. I'm sorry. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I, it does because we, we have certain people making decisions about our collective money. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure you have both Republicans and Democrats listening to your podcast. The problem was not created by Biden. I don't want to pick on him too much because you know Trump was the one that started, you know, the lockdowns and the uh, stimulus checks. So I mean, this is equal opportunity blame here, right? But what we, what we have right now in this month of October that we're in, we just heard that Biden tried to bribe Saudi Arabia to increase production just this month alone, just before the midterm elections, so that the gas prices wouldn't creep up and hurt the Democrats. You know, this is blatantly a, a quid pro quo, and uh, Saudi Arabia basically told him to go pound sand, and then he's retaliating. Like, this is impeachable. This is a quid pro quo. They impeached Trump for much less than this. And actually, Saudi Arabia is is, uh, directly stating that this happened, whereas Zelensky specifically said Trump never had a quid pro quo. Anyway, we're getting political. But anyway, um, what we have- Details, that's a lot of details to follow. Yeah. We have a lull here in October before the midterm elections. After the midterm elections, you know, all, all holds are off. You know, all bets are off. Um, about gas prices, about inflation. Yeah, gas prices. It, I, I can almost guarantee you, gas prices are going to go double digit, double digit gas prices. Ten dollars, fifteen dollars a gallon for gas. Um, In November and, or next year. Um, maybe immediately. Maybe by the end of the year. Yeah, let let's let's make a wager. Double digit gas prices by the end of the year, by Christmas. You're, you're going to be paying at least $10 a gallon for gas. Um, that's a lot to wrap our minds around. Yes. I mean, that that's just, I think that's the most likely scenario. I, and I, I don't think okay. it's too far-fetched. Um, and then your prices at the grocery store are going to go up accordingly. So I, I would yeah. say, you know, have a plan. Have a plan. Have something set aside. You know, you can survive on rice and beans, beans and rice for a little while you know, put some things in your freezer, your freezer might not work. I mean, the electric grid, who knows? Yeah, I I mean, I see a lot of apocalypse (laughs) heading our way. And that's not even the worst case scenario. Um, But anyway, maybe that's enough for now. Well, I mean, that's all that's all a lot to digest and a lot to heavy stuff to think about. Mm -hmm. So I do want to end on a good note. So give us a garden update, please, Rachel. 
<laughs> cilantro is doing really well. Yes, my, my cilantro is doing well and my basil is going great guns. And every Ooh. time I thin it out a little bit, it, it shoots up a little bit more. So I'm yep. learning the value of thinning. And yep. um, yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just enjoying my October. The weather down here in Florida is lovely and it's still sunny. And some days it still feels like summer. And then in the nights, it feels like fall. And um, I'm going to grow fruit trees in my backyard and everything is going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the bright spot is we will get through this. Humanity yeah, has been through we will. so much of this. That this is nothing new. This is nothing new. That, that is my assurance to you. Um, that's what I get from studying history. There has been, you know, so many cycles of currencies not working and economic troubles. And then we heal. We figure out yes. a new path forward and we heal and we will go on and don't be afraid, just prepare. That's. And, you know, hope and connection bring us together. Yes. During times of trial yes. and we, we find each other. We really do. We find each other and many people cooperate together for yes. the benefit of everybody in that smaller localized system. Yes. And if we can keep that in mind, we can do great things. Yes. Yes. I, I would say we need each other. Um, we do. We, we do. Need, we need community. It's not just a warm, fuzzy mental health thing. Like it's literal survival type thing. We're humans, you know. Well, it's quality we're, of life too, right? Because yes, I mean, it's survival, but we don't have to wait until we're desperate to cooperate with people. We can, we can also, I believe we also dramatically elevate our own quality of life of course. by simply being in connection and being in community with mm -hmm. those around us. Yeah. It's just a side benefit that, you know, your neighbor might give you some tomatoes. Exactly. <laughs> or yeah. some gold or silver for the tomatoes that we grow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Rachel, thank you. This has been so, so informative. I mean, this is, this is the type of conversation we used to have many years ago. And yeah. I remember threads of this from other conversations <laughs> for sure. And it's always good to get the grounding and the reminder, right? Good, good. And we you. know, you know, we're, we're really crazy. consistent. <laughs> What's that? Thank you for humoring me with my, my no, crazy. this is great because We've got, there's certain things that like we sort of are aware of in the back of our minds, yeah. but, but the details help us focus in on it and be able to take action. So, yeah. you know, it can be overwhelming to think about the worst case scenario. So don't, right. Think about the most likely and think about those small actions you can take on a daily basis mm -hmm. and the significant impact. Like, even if it's literally like getting to know a few of your neighbors. I yes. promise you're going to have so many more benefits from that than just the ones you imagine. Yeah. So it really is about taking small actions regularly. Yes. Yes. As we know about so many other things. And there, there are things that are in your control. And if you control the things that you can control, you will be less overwhelmed. I promise. So true. Words of wisdom. So as we always say, Rachel, Grow some food, know your neighbor, and eat for health. Yes. And I actually want to expand that a little bit and say, grow 
something beneficial for your ecosystem. It doesn't even have to be food. It just has to be beneficial for your ecosystem. Flowers are good for pollinators. Exactly. And I want to talk more about that. I'm reading an amazing book. So I want to touch more on that soon. Uh, But for now, I just want to expand, grow some food or something for your ecosystem. Grow something lovely. Grow something lovely. (laughs) All All right. right. Liz, talk to you next time. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.